0: Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. In this episode, we're continuing the story from episode two uh, concerning the remarkable event of the first conversion story of a group of Gentiles in the Book of Acts. If you follow the structure of Uh, The teaching that we're going through here, you'll realize that the gospel starts with the Jewish people and it starts in one city, one location in Jerusalem. And that's the story of series one. Then it spreads across the Jewish homeland, the land of Israel, uh, three different areas, Galilee, Samaria and Judea. And that's the story of series two. And now we're in series three. Uh, Luke is focusing on explaining to us how the gospel got to the Gentile or non-Jewish peoples, and that's going to become the major focus of the rest of the book of Acts, because the gospel is going to move more and more away from the land of Israel into a number of different other countries. And we're beginning this process in series three, And we started really with the story of Cornelius, which I described last time. But uh, having found faith with his household in the city of Caesarea, the Roman uh, capital city in the country, um, then we have an issue that's faced by the church is, can the church accept these Gentiles into the church community? Now, Peter was the preacher. He went to Caesarea, he preached, and all these people received the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus, they repented of their sins, they were baptized in water, and it was a great story. And Peter began to realize that his way of thinking as a Jew uh, with the Old Testament background in mind um, was faulty, that he didn't realize that God was replacing the Jewish laws with the gospel and the power of the Spirit, letting people in to the faith community who previously hadn't been able to join in the time of the Old Testament. So Cornelius has become a believer, and we notice at the end of the last passage, passage, it says they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Peter stays in Caesarea, which is about 120 kilometers, roughly speaking, from Jerusalem the capital of the church and Peter's home. He stays there for just a few days in order to instruct them and to help these new people to get established in the faith. We take up the story in Acts chapter 11 because Acts 11 describes how the Jerusalem church, which is wholly Jewish, comes to terms with different sort of people joining their church community. And it wasn't easy for them, for reasons that will become clear very quickly. So let's just read the first three verses of Acts 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's interesting how fast news travels. Before Peter could get back to Jerusalem, the news had gone before him. Have you ever had that experience? News travels very, very fast. Something you do today is broadcast very, very quickly. And often people are thinking about it before you have time to talk. To them about it. This is what happened. The news went straight back to Jerusalem and people said, hang on a minute, Peter went off on a journey to the Jewish towns and to the Jewish churches, places like Lydda and Joppa that we saw in an earlier episode Peter was visiting. Now he's gone to Caesarea, the Roman capital city where the governor lives and the military is headquartered and he's been preaching to Gentiles. He wasn't planning to do that. No one told us this was going to happen. Is this the right thing to happen? We even hear that he's gone into the house of a Gentile family, had hospitality from them, received food from them, and the believers in Jerusalem were alarmed by what they heard. It was a cultural shock. And this is because As I explained in the last episode, there were a number of boundary markers, cultural issues where the Jews distinguished themselves from the other ethnic groups around them, which we call Gentiles, based on the law of Moses revealed in the Old Testament in the books of Exodus and Leviticus. And these included male circumcision, the observance of the Sabbath day, and particularly the food laws. The the food uh, that was prohibited to Jews, certain meat products particularly and certain uh, 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 fish and so on were prohibited to them and so this divided them from the Gentiles. So in their time no one would go into a Gentile household for hospitality purposes and when you go to the Jewish temple there's actually a little wall, a little low wall uh, in part of the temple compound which Uh, beyond which no Gentiles were able to go in as they went towards the centre of the temple. They weren't allowed in the centre of the temple, they weren't allowed to worship directly, they had to stay at a distance. So there were all sorts of boundary markers that came from the Jewish background, and the Christians were still thinking in terms of these boundary markers. And so Peter got a bit of a shock when he arrived in Jerusalem after a few days celebrating this great breakthrough in Caesarea, spending time with Cornelius and his family to find he was being interrogated by his friends and the church community that he'd built in Jerusalem. And they asked him, hang on a minute, why have you done this? What's, be- what's going on here in this situation? So a crisis was threatening at this particular point, and Luke wants to explain what happens. This is a very, very sensitive issue for the Jews who have become believers in Jesus. They're struggling to understand what's happened to their culture, their history, and their religious rules from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. What is their place in the Christian church? Do those rules still apply? Well, we'll answer that question more specifically by the end of this episode. But that's the question that's in their mind as they question Peter. So Peter then retells the story of what's happened. And let's read it. Verses 4 to 17. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied surely not lord nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth the voice spoke from heaven a second time do not call anything impure that god has made clean this happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again right then three men who'd been sent to me from caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way. So Peter's response to the question is to tell the story, to explain to his fellow Jewish believers in Jerusalem how God had led him. It wasn't his plan to do this, but miracles happened to him and also to Cornelius that brought them together in that remarkable meeting in Cornelius's house. And Peter goes on to tell them the story that the Holy Spirit fell on the uh, household of Cornelius, all those people, and we numbered them perhaps at around 30 people in the last episode. And the Holy Spirit fell on them in such a way they spontaneously started praising God and speaking in tongues. And Peter said the Spirit came on those Gentiles in Cornelius' house as he had come on us in the beginning, meaning the day of Pentecost. That's what he meant. So he explained to the Jewish people that the coming of the Holy Spirit in power is not a Jewish event only. This is going to happen with other people groups. In fact, it's happened already with the Samaritans. And we saw that story in Acts chapter eight. But it's more difficult for the Jewish people to accept the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit because they're totally outside their faith, whereas the Samaritans shared some of their faith and history with them. But people like Cornelius don't, they're outsiders. And the Jews had a very strong sense of outsiders, a, a sense of superiority, ethnic superiority over other races. Now this is a common issue in human society as we know a form of what we would call today racism. That was in the background of Jewish thinking. They believed that they were a people chosen by God uniquely, with special status and privileges from God, and that easily led them to look down on outsiders as somewhat impure, somewhat unclean, rather like the unclean animals they weren't allowed to eat as described in Leviticus chapter 11 and as mentioned by Peter in the vision that he'd had on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. So it was hard for them to accept that uh, there'd been a breakthrough and these people were now on equal terms. But Peter was quite clear. The Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, verse 15. In other words, God is bringing all sorts of people into his kingdom. Then he quoted words from Jesus in verse 16 of Acts 11. And that refers back to a statement by Jesus just before his ascension as recorded in Acts 1. Acts 1 verse 4. And five, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It just occurred to Peter the Holy Spirit does not belong to the Jews. The Holy Spirit, God's living presence within us, the person of God who is here on earth, belongs to all believers. He will be given to anyone who truly believes. There's no distinction between them. There's no hierarchy. There's no racial hierarchy or social hierarchy involved in the giving of the Spirit. And Peter's explanation at this point persuaded the listeners that God was at work. So we see a great conclusion in verse 18, the last verse of our passage. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The dispute was settled for now, although this issue will recur again as a result of things that happened further afield in the Gentile mission under the leadership of Paul. But that's a story we'll come to later on. Let's now go back to Caesarea for a moment. Let's just think about Cornelius. What did he feel about all this? Well, he wasn't involved in all this theological discussion in Jerusalem. He was just so thrilled that he would found salvation so excited. But here's an interesting thought for you. We know from an earlier episode that the evangelist Philip, who you may recall us talking about earlier on, who went to Samaria, who went down the Gaza road and met the Ethiopian eunuch, and then after then Philip traveled along the coastline, the very coastline, that Peter had traveled to go from Joppa to Caesarea, he went all the way along that coastline preaching in different towns, and he ended up in Caesarea, it says in Acts chapter 8. And then in Acts 21, we find at a later stage that Philip and his family had settled down in Caesarea. So he obviously became a church leader and an evangelist, based in Caesarea, we find Paul comes to meet him some years later, and he's got four young daughters who are all unmarried living at home as Paul comes and stays with him. So there's Cornelius coming to faith, miraculously in his own household, because Peter came to preach. But there's also a Christian community already in Caesarea that he probably didn't have any contact with because of the social divisions between Jews and Gentiles and the fact that he was a soldier. But now, almost certainly, Cornelius and his family would have connected with Philip and his family and they would have formed one church community in Caesarea, perhaps in many households because they didn't have any public buildings. But that's just an interesting thought. It doesn't say that in the text, but we can assume that this would have happened. So Cornelius wasn't left on his own. There were believers around and leaders around to help him in his newfound faith. Well, this story reaches a fantastic conclusion. And (coughs) now the scene is set for the spreading of the faith amongst the Gentile communities. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the next episode, because the next episode moves us several hundred kilometers further north to a huge regional capital city called Antioch, where many of the believers after the persecution had traveled. And we see the first church formed with Jews and Gentiles together many different ethnic groups and it's a remarkable story and it's the subject of our next episode and it starts in verse 19 uh, and moves to the end of the chapter. So that's to come but what's happened now is that the conversion of one family has convinced the Jerusalem church which is the headquarters of the church that we must now they must now orientate themselves towards looking further afield and sending people further afield and believing that God is going to start reaching other ethnic groups. That's the impact of the Cornelius story. It changes the thinking of many of the believers in Jerusalem who are so tied in with the history of Judaism and the Jewish faith that they find it hard to think to other ethnic groups. But now they're beginning to do it and that's great. Now, as a reflection, I want to now think about the question that underlies this episode and the last episode, which concerns the Old Testament law or the law of Moses. As stated before, it's revealed in Exodus and Leviticus, and there are several hundred commands, and they form a whole body of law that all the Jews had to obey, and they followed those laws through many, many hundreds of years of Judaism. But now we see that some of those laws are being questioned. In fact, God himself is leading Peter, the leader of the church, to understand those laws in a different way, showing him that they are becoming redundant. Now, Paul tells us more about this process later on in his writings. He even says at one point in Romans 10, verse 4, that Jesus Christ is the, brings the law to an end. He is the end of the Jewish law. And basically what that means is that when Jesus Christ died, Uh, and his death is celebrated by the Last Supper, and and a new covenant is formed. The new covenant in his blood replaces the covenant of law between the Jews and God through Moses. So this means that as the church goes on, they begin to work out how to deal with all those regulations in the old testament and they began begin to realize that all those laws have now been superseded except the ones that are reapplied in the new testament sometimes jesus or sometimes the apostle paul or another writer reapplies a law for example Some of the Ten Commandments, indeed most of them, are reapplied. Thou shalt not commit adultery is from the law of Moses in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but we find that it reappears in the New Testament. It becomes a law for us only because it reappears in the New Testament. Anything that does not reappear in the New Testament is being made redundant, and that is the vast majority of those laws, including circumcision, the Sabbath law in the Old Testament form, and the food laws, which are the subject of this particular uh, challenge that Peter uh, was facing. Jews no longer had to Uh, follow a special diet if they became believers in Jesus. And most important of all, they couldn't impose on the Gentile believers the laws that they had in a previous era. And if they did that, it's what we call legalism, creating a legal framework for the Christian religion which God did not inspire or want for us. Now, this story is developed further a little bit later on in Acts, and Paul teaches about it specifically in books like Romans and Galatians. But what happens in this episode with Cornelius is very important because it's laying the foundation upon which the church in the future is built. And the foundation is very simple the foundation is To become a Christian, you don't have to become a Jew first. You don't have to follow the Jewish laws. To become a Christian, you have to respond by faith and repentance to the reality of Jesus' life, his death, sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross for you, and his resurrection from the dead. These are the key elements that Peter preached to Cornelius in his house, which we saw in the second um, part, second half of Acts 10 in the last episode. This is the central message. It's the message about Jesus Christ that brings us to salvation. And that's the foundation for the church. And the entry point for the church is repentance, faith, baptism in water, the outward symbol of entrance into the church community, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, God's presence himself coming into you and empowering you and giving you spiritual gifts. None of these things require obedience to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law is becoming redundant, or in the words of the writer to Hebrews, obsolete, out of date. And we see this happening before our very eyes in this episode, and the Jerusalem church having to come to terms with this new framework. Now, people throughout the world, whatever cultural background you have, have a tendency to consider that religion and the worship of God is defined by a number of rules and regulations. Now, the New Testament shows that true faith in Christ is not defined this way. It's defined by faith, and it's defined by the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He is the one who guides us to know what the right thing to do is in any circumstance. And the other resource we have is the guidance of the New Testament writings, which is why Uh, Studies like the ones we're doing here are so important because the scriptures come to help us, specifically the New Testament in terms of this particular issue. So this is the foundation for Christianity. And this means that throughout church history, if the church is following the way of the apostles accurately, we do not create a racial or social hierarchy in the church. There are no people who are closer to God than another group because of their racial or social background. There are no first and second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Cornelius and his family were not second-class citizens because they weren't Jews. And Peter makes the point they received the Spirit like we did on the day of Pentecost and that equalizes us It's the same spirit given to them as was given to us, the same mark of salvation. Their racial background has nothing to do with their qualification in the kingdom. So it's clear that from this point onwards, God's plan is to create a multiracial church community. And we see that developing through the pages of the New Testament right the way up until the book of Revelation. Where John sees in a vision in in Revelation chapter 7, the fact that the crowds in eternity who come through the terrible tribulation of the last times and have been saved, John, uh, Revelation 7, verse 9, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's the ultimate destiny. So wherever you are in the world, whatever your ethnic group, whatever country you're in, whatever continent you're in, you're part of this story. There's no superior race uh, anymore. And the Jews take their place in the church alongside all the Gentiles. Their job wasn't to be superior. Their job was to be the servants of the Gentiles, by bringing the gospel message to them. And that's exactly what Peter did with Cornelius. He became the servant of the Gentiles, offering them the same message that they had received. So if you're looking into Christianity today and you're listening to this saying, well, I'm not really a Christian, could I possibly qualify? Can I just say there's nobody disqualified Everybody comes in on the same basis. Cornelius came in on the same basis as Peter. And the basis is very simple and very straightforward. Repentance, faith in Christ, being baptized in water, and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we end this episode, the scene is set for the Gentile mission, which is the theme of series And we're going to see some rapid expansion in the uh, episodes that follow. So I hope you'll join us as we continue the story with the next episode and we move to a remarkable work of God as a large church is built in the city of Antioch. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.